0: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Five Rings to Rule Them All. I'm Sid Ziegler. I have been trying for years to talk to Hannah Mouncey, and it's never quite the right time. Ships passing in the night. Well, finally, I reached out a couple weeks ago, and Hannah agreed. For those of you who don't know, Hannah has a very unique distinction. Hannah is one of either one, or possibly two, I've, I've heard of recently of one of the possible person Um, but the the very rare athlete who has represented their country on the international level on the men's team and then on the women's team and Hannah helped both of them qualify for the world championships that is a pretty unique distinction we talk about all of that and her experiences in around both teams which are quite eye-opening uh, the problems that she had competing on the women's team, and why she ultimately didn't get to compete in the world championships. Also, we talk about her flirting with uh, Aussie Rules football. She started playing that, got really good. The AFL teams uh, were interested in drafting her, and the day before the draft, well, she talks about what happened, and it's 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 not cool. We also talk about the idea that transgender athletes have these automatic, unfair advantages and some of the struggles that she has had uh, through transitioning. This is a really special interview, and and, and even though she doesn't play rugby, um, you know, it's, it, this is a good way to start off our, our rugby week. We have a trans rugby week that we're, we're celebrating every day. We're, we're highlighting a different trans rugger. Anyhow, here is my conversation with handball player and Aussie rules football player, Hannah Mouncey. I'm here now with Hannah Mouncey. Uh, Hannah, you're in Melbourne, just, it's a a world apart and I know we wanna talk about other things, but I'm just curious what society is like there right now, given the pandemic.
1: Uh, look, Melbourne itself is very, very quiet, um, largely just because, um, we've had a bit of a second wave here, but it's nothing compared to what's happened in the U S and it's very isolated to Melbourne. The rest of Australia is pretty good. Um, to put it in perspective, you know, Sydney is having maybe 13, 14 cases a day at the moment. They're freaking out. Um, you know, which I know a lot of other parts in the world would love. Um, Melbourne where we're, we were at about 700, that was the peak of the second wave. And um, it's down to about 300 now, but we've gone basically into what here is called stage four lockdowns. So um, you're only allowed out once a day to go to the shops and for an hour, up to an hour to exercise. Um, otherwise you have to stay home. Um, there's <laughs> You're not allowed out of a five kilometre radius of your house um, to do any of those things. Um, and only the very essential workers are allowed to work. And and even then, they have to have a work permit. <coughs> Sorry, I've got some stuff in my throat. Um, they have to have a work permit um, allowing them to work. And th- in addition to that, there's a curfew from, I think it's 5 a.m. to 8 p.m. Uh, at the moment for the next six weeks. So Melbourne has, has pretty much come to a standstill, but I'm pretty lucky in the sense that. Um, you know, I, I own a company and run a company that is part of that essential industry. It provides disability supports, um, So I'm still able to work all the way through. So I, I'm one of the really, really lucky ones. But um, yeah, the next six weeks are going to be pretty quiet around here.
0: Well, I am obviously a sports writer and all, all I've done for the last 12 years is work from home anyway. <laughs> so it hasn't affected me at all. Uh, but I know I wanted to talk to you about other things. And, yeah. you know, the first is that, you know, I, I know a lot of, I know your sports history and sports career and is following it until maybe, I don't know, 12 or 18 months ago. And I just haven't heard much about you since. And I, I'm just not sure what you've been up to sports-wise uh, since the, the, the AFL issue. Um, What have you been up to? Are are you still competing in handball right now? Um, Well,
1: COVID, I mean, as you can expect, has sort of put a bit of a dampener on everything. So there's not really any sport happening here except the very highly paid professional sports. Um, So I played, I mean, just as a background, I guess, previous to 18 months ago. um, Prior to my transition, I was part of the Australian men's handball team um, for a number of years. and competed, world well, championships, Olympic qualifiers, things like that. Um, and then after our Olympic qualification event for Rio in, at the end of 2015, um, that was when I say made the decision, but it really wasn't a decision. I had to do it um, to transition, start hormone treatment, and do all that sort of stuff. Um, and at that point, um, you know, I thought I would never play again. Um, and, and, you know, I, I wasn't comfortable with the fact, but I knew it was just one of those things that was, was going to be the case. Um, and that pure happenstance was three months, four months prior to the IOC, bringing out their updated regulations around hormone levels and things like that. So that, that was a real, just, that was just pure coincidence. And, and something that was, it was really, it was amazing. Um, so from then on, um, you know, I was going through all this process of, um, you know, transition and, and being a very awkward teenager at 25. Um, and, you know, I always wanted to play again. Once I knew I could play again, I wanted to. Um, and so that I kept training as much as I could. My body and its ability to recover wasn't great. So it was really difficult to um, navigate. And really, even now, I'm still learning that I can't train the way I used to and things that I need to do differently. And it's been very difficult, but um, yeah, fast forward to uh, our winter of 2017. So your summer Um, I was playing Australian rules football in Canberra, which is where I was living and and had for 10 years previously. Um, Just because I wanted to meet new people. I I needed something new Um, people who hadn't known me previously. I think just, Um, It was a bit of a circuit breaker and, you know, I'd I'd played football as a kid up until when I was 18 um, growing up. So it just made sense for me to do that. I knew a few people at a club in Canberra and and I just went along and and played just for the fun of it. Um, Midway through that year, I was approached by a couple of clubs in Melbourne to see if I would be interested in playing in the AFL competition, the women's competition. Um, and, and, basically I just said, yeah, why not? You know, there's no reason to say no. Um, so I went through all the recruiting processes and things like that. And that was going really well. I, I knew I was going to go in the draft to one of those three teams. And, and from what I understand higher, the top half of the draft. Um, and then the day before the draft happened, the AFL said I couldn't play, um, which was what it was, but I was allowed to play at a local level or state level. Um, so the AFL being a national competition, I was able to play in the Victorian football league, which is, uh, the Victorian state competition, um, which I did. The irony of that being that that's played in winter, the AFL competition in summer and 90% of your AFL players were playing in the Victorian competition. So, you know, I was playing against the same players I would have anyway. So it didn't really make much sense. Um, I had a really good season in the VFL. I I finished second in the league goal kicking um, as as a forward. So that was quite good. Um, But the way it panned out, um, the AFL sort of introduced some policies around inclusion at the elite level, which by design were too difficult for anyone to meet. Um, You know, they're asking for information that doctors don't measure around transition. They're asking for, All sorts of things that you simply can't provide. Um, So what that meant is is essentially there won't be a trans player play in that competition because the policy has been designed in a way that um, they can't, you know, they can't meet the criteria. It's not possible um, to provide the information thereafter. So stop playing football uh, at the end of 2018. Um, And to be honest, that wasn't a huge problem for me because football was something I just did for fun. I never set out to play at the higher levels. It was just something that happened. Um, But handball was where my passion always was. I've always said, first and foremost, I was a handball player and am. And it was just the media that made me a football player first. Um, And all through this time, I'd been training with the women's national team in Australia. um, And... Luckily, I, I not luckily, but you know, I was fortunate enough to be able to um, play for Australia again. Um, this time with the women's team. So that was at the world, at the Asian Championships at the end of 2018, um, where we were able to qualify for the World Championships the following year, which were also in Japan. Um, so that that was incredible because Australia had never qualified for the World Championships through Asia before. It's a really difficult path. Um, Asia's got a really high standard of competition and you know we're not professional a lot of the teams in Asia are we're paying our own way to competitions we're paying to attend training camps we're paying for our uniforms Um, you know we have to work so we can't dedicate the time to training that the other teams can Um, so that was a really big achievement for us and just for me personally because um, a lot of what I've gone through I didn't think I'd get to that point again I'd had a lot of mental health issues in the intervening years. I'd been homeless for a period between the last time I played and when I played with the women's team again. Um, so, you know, there was a lot for me to get through to get to that point. And, you know, it's something that I'm really proud of, that out of every sport in the whole world and every country, I'm the only player in the world in any sport who's um, been able to, you know, play at the, with the, you know, gender that they were born with assigned as a birth um, on the national team at really high levels. Like I played at world championships and things like that, and then be able to retire and then come back after transitioning and do it again with the women's team. No one's ever done that. So for me, that's something I'm really proud of. Um, I didn't get to compete at the world championships in Japan the following year. So that was the end of last year. Um, And that was, look, that was really disappointing. There were some things that went on when we were in Japan the first time. Um, that really didn't sit well with me. Um, I raised them with uh, team officials as well as the Handball Australia board. And they just weren't dealt with. Um, our coach, um, I said, look, can we address this? And it was always, yes, next month, next month, next month. And I was just lied to the whole way through. And it was around you know me being trans. That was the issues that we were trying to confront within the team. Um, because there were some things that just really weren't okay. Um,
0: can you, and in can you the, talk about what any of those things were?
1: Yeah, so essentially when we we're in Japan, um, our manager, um, as we were getting off the bus to play Japan, so the timing was not great, um, basically came up to me and he said, you're not allowed to use the change rooms. Um, and the president of Handball Australia was standing there with him when that happened. Um, and I, I just flat out said, no, that's ridiculous, no. Um, and this went back and forth and, you know, there was a comment during that conversation of, well, you could just do what we're saying. You could just do what you're told. And I just said no and I walked off um, and into the stadium and, you know, I didn't change any of my behaviour because, I, I, honestly, I thought that was ridiculous. And um, that was something that came from within the team. Um, not the whole team, but there were some members within the team who essentially went to our manager and told him to ask, ask me that. Um, the manager of our team was a parent's father um, who was quite close to some of the girls because they're friends with his daughter. So it was all those sort of things. Um, and I made it quite clear that that wasn't okay. And essentially, I, I in an email I sent to the Handball Australia board, I said, look, or the president, I said, look, you were there. If this happens again, I'm absolutely going to tell him where to go. Um, and I tried over the next six months, seven months to address it. And I was told, yes, we will. Oh no, not this month. We'll do it next month when we have another camp. And it just went on like that. And it became apparent at the end that, you know, it was never going to be addressed. I was just being strung along. Um, And in the end, you know, I I asked our coach, you know, why isn't this being addressed after the third or fourth time of that happening at a a training camp we had, I said, what's going on? Like you said yesterday, we'd do it yesterday afternoon. Today you're saying you do it this afternoon. Now you're telling me next month what's going on. Um, he interjected in that conversation and basically said, look, you've been told it's not gonna happen, go away, you know, stop causing trouble. And I just told him to go fuck himself, um, quite frankly. I don't know if I can say that on the podcast, but that, that were my words to him.
0: Um, I'll put an explicit rating on the on the episode, we're fine.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I just think for, um, for accuracy, it should probably be out there. Um, and look, honestly, that was the best thing I ever did, and I wish I did it six or 12 months before. Um, you know, um, but because I was you know, I was standing up for myself, um, you know, and what was right and what was wrong. So I I, I will always say that um that was the best thing I ever did. But, you know, I then received a phone call, uh, because the the team for the world the world championships being picked at that camp and I received a phone from one of my dogs about to bark. Um one of, I, I received a phone call from the um coach a, a week or two later when the team was selected. Um And she said, look, I can't take you Um, basically because, you know, this is too much of an issue. Um, You know, if you can't go along with what we're saying, then we can't take you on the team. Um, And obviously, you know, my argument and very heated disagreement with our manager obviously added to that. Um, But she then turned around and said, look, but we're going to tell everyone that you're injured. Um, I was fit to go. Um, You know, I'd had a, a minor back injury during the year that I'd managed for 10 years, and there are a couple of exercises that I just needed to avoid, but that was no different to what anyone else. There was a lot of players in the team doing, or not a lot, but there was a couple of players in the team doing the same thing. It was no different, um, especially when you get to 30, you know. I mean, that was, it's just part of the course. And, um, you know, I was still training, I was still doing all that, but that was the reason she gave. So um, after that, you know, I, I decided, <coughs> not decided, I just, you know, I didn't want to be a part of the sport. I can't trust anyone within the sport at the moment. There's maybe two or three people I feel I can trust. <coughs> Sorry, I've just got this, I drank some water before and stuck in my throat. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I just don't feel I can trust anyone with the sport, um, it, within that sport, you know. My teammates, you know, for that to come from them and not even say it to my face and have that conversation, um, you know, I just think that was really poor. And, um, you know, I just don't feel as though I, I put it this way. The best I can describe it is my time within that team is that I played on the court, but I was never part of the team. And, you know, for that reason, I, I'm not going to play. I wouldn't ever play under that coach. She's still, from what I know, coaching COVID is obviously throwing things up in the air. Who knows what will happen? But, um, yeah, and, and a lot of people in that team, I would have no interest in playing with as well. Um, so, you know, I mean, I may play again, um, once that, once things have moved on a bit, you know, give it a few years, I'll be 35, but you know, I'll give it a go. Um, but we'll see what happens. I'm moving home, hopefully next year to Canberra. So if I'm there, I'll, I'll definitely play within Canberra. Um, because I know there are a lot of people there I can trust and it's home and it's a, it's a much better environment, but, um, at the moment, no, there's, there's really nothing going on.
0: Well, it sounds like your dog is as pissed off about it as uh, he should be. So that's good. That's Um, the, uh,
1: our equivalent of a UPS uh, delivery driver next
0: door. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, it, it sounds Hannah, like it was a real struggle for you to be on this team despite the success that you had, I mean, you know, you, you, the, the, the team isn't exactly a, a, a quadrennial favorite to make the Olympics and you're not competing for a world championship, but, I mean, you had some success, and, but it sounds like your overall experience was pretty negative.
1: Yeah, it's a real mix because up until we went to that tournament in Japan, um, it was great. You know, I had no issues. Um And so that's why it's a real mixed feeling about it. Um, My feeling towards some of the people within the team and definitely the management and the Handball Australia board are very negative. Um, But look, it wasn't everyone in the team. I've got to, I've got to emphasize that. Um, But it's, it's a really hard one because I look at some of the photos from that event after we qualified for the world championships, um, you know, the celebrations that were there and, you know, just the pride that I have in being able to come back from where I was and play again. Um, you know, they're things that are real positives, but especially look at the celebrations and things like that, it's it was great, but I don't feel any joy from it anymore um, or any pride from it at all anymore because I know what happened after. Um, so, yeah, it, it's a real mixed bag. I, I still look, it's a great sport. It's a brilliant sport. And there are so and you know all the people I'm really close to in my life and my really good friends come from within that sport, um, but yeah, it, it the last two years has been really difficult. Um, especially looking back on it in hindsight, you know, because I was going through it, going, "Yep, we'll address it and it's fine," and, and it just never was. I was being lied to the whole time, and um, you know, it's it's a real mixed bag. But yeah, it's, it's been it, pretty negative.
0: Yeah, it's, I mean, it sounds like they they wanted you on the team because you helped the team win, but. But they just—I I guess they just didn't know what to do about this uh, this changing room issue—and and- well, the thing is,
1: it shouldn't be an issue. There was no issue, of course. You know, and, and and this is the thing—it's—it's it's really easy. You say, "Guys, no," like I'm not asking that question. That's actually really inappropriate. Um, but that's how you know—it's that simple. And I think there are a lot of people who would know that—not um, even people who are within the LGBT community but um yeah it was just the way it was handled um and yeah look i mean i think the over the sense i get is they're okay with me being on the team but as long as i did what they said and on their terms and those terms weren't the same as anyone else on the team and from my perspective if i'm on the team i'm on the team you know and i'm not going to be treated any differently um and and you know the the analogy I use is, um, you know, let's say, for example, you've got a Muslim player or a black player or anyone else on the team and you say, hang on, you can't use these change rooms because you're black or you're Muslim. How well does that go down? You know, how would that player feel? Not very well. Yeah, and it's a, and, and the feeling that I get from that, it's the exact same. Um, and so, you know, it's no different, but people... You know, and there's all sorts of excuses thrown up. You know, when I addressed it, people said, oh, but they knew you before, so it's really hard for them. And I'm like, well, you know what? It's been however many years now. How long are you, you, it's not an excuse, you know? And the people who that might ring true for, they're fine. They're the people who have the least issues and the most accepting and don't care because they're the people I'm closest to. They're the people it would be hardest to probably see that transition for. So I I just, I I don't buy it Um, and basically it's not okay. Um, It's actually, it has been in mediation now with the um, Australian Human Rights Commission since November. Um, And we're working through the final stages of that. Um, I'm semi hopeful that there'll be a positive result. Uh, I think they have a much better, the board has a much better understanding now um, of, how that impacted me. And there are other issues as well from tournaments and things that weren't addressed. There's a cumulative effect um, of things that meant that, you know, it it became really difficult. And so uh, I can't talk about what is that, what is in that mediation because it's confidential, but hopefully in the next week or two, it'll, it'll come to pass and, um, you know, there'll be a positive outcome for everyone.
0: Cultural change like this, It always takes a trailblazer and then somebody to follow that person and somebody to follow that person and eventually 30 40 50 years you look back and scratch your head Um, unfortunately you know you have had to be one of those trailblazers you have had to be one of those people who takes the shots and gets the dirty looks and has the problems with management and I hope you, you realize that because of what you've done, that somebody 10 years from now, they will have it better. And you know, and that doesn't, doesn't help you a lot, but. I, I hope so. And and the thing is, I mean, I'm,
1: look, I'm not really comfortable with any of the titles or terms like trailblaze or anything like that, you know, cause all I did, and this is how I explain it. This is how I really hope it comes to be seen is, you know, I'm just doing, what I hope 99.9% of the world does anyway, and that was being myself, you know? Um, And so that really shouldn't be such a huge issue. And then I went and did what probably 70% of Australians do every week and go play sport. So that's not really that different either, but you put the two together and it becomes a really big issue. So um, I I hope that's the case, but again, I was just doing things that were totally normal. but I think with the change of, you know, the cultural change and things like that, um, you know, and this is probably coming back to the, the excuse I was given before where people are saying, well, they knew you before. And, it's, and I'm going, well, how long's it been, guys? You know, like, can we move past that, please? I'd, I was never particularly close to any of you anyway. So that shouldn't be, you know, as big of an issue for you as it might have been for other people who it wasn't. Um, but the example that gives is people want change at their pace and they're saying, well, I'm not okay with this. You have to wait for that, you know, all this change to happen. Whereas I'm going, well, I'm not doing it on your terms. You know, and I don't think anyone should be doing things on anyone else's terms. You go do you, you know, and um, I think people don't like the fact that maybe I'm pushing against the time frame that they want and I want to do it now. Um, but that's just, I think, the way it has to be because if you do it on other people's terms, nothing will happen. Sometimes you just have to go in, blow the door down and accept that at some point, you know, you might cop a bit coming back the other way, but the alternative is to, it's just to be sort of walked over and I'm not, I've never been okay with that. Um, so yeah, that, that's just how I see it. I, I, I'm just going to do what I want, what I feel like doing. And if people aren't okay with that, well, then they're going to have to catch up.
0: What's funny? Because before we started talking, you said no questions are off limits, and I thought, oh, there's there is a question that I would, and I could even think of that that would even be within the range, and I I think I might ask you a question that might be okay. a little tough, but I want to ask. I'm excited. Let's go for it. So there's right now there's a the the debate about simply the inclusion of trans athletes in women's sports is intensifying, and you have a rising chorus of a combination of conservative voices and feminist voices saying trans women do not belong in women's sports and you have been the target of a policy that says you know pretty much what you said is the 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 barriers are so high for trans women to get into the afl that it will never happen yeah this this idea what we keep hearing is that um you are a a safety hazard to other women. And so I want to ask you, when you were playing football, yeah. did you ever injure, did, it, did their fears pan out? Did you injure another woman? No.
1: No, and this is the thing, and, and I, I use handball as well. So, yeah, you because know, handball is just as physical, if not more um, than Australian rules football, because if you get caught with the ball, it's a turnover in Australian rules football. So you're trying to move the ball on. Um, so, I, I would say, let's combine the games in Canberra with the number of games i played in Melbourne football. So, let's call it 25, um, plus handball. You know, you've got a couple of national club championships, plus the national championships, plus the games in Japan. So, let's look at, let's call it, plus training camps. But let's just look at the games. So, you've probably got a cumulative 50 games there. Um, probably a little bit more. Um, no one has come out of that game injured because of me you know i mean you get your normal bumps and bruises that you're going to get playing a contact sport that's fine but um no there hasn't been there's not been a single instance of someone saying you know oh they were tackled or they were hit or they were bumped by me and they popped their shoulder out hasn't happened um you know and i think you know if, if you look at say 50 games it's probably a pretty good indication uh or it's a good sample size um you know, and across two different sports that are both physical in their own way. Um, And it it hasn't happened. You know, there's, there are people online um, when the AFL stuff came out saying that I broke someone's leg. It's not that I didn't. Um, What happened is someone was running behind me, grabbed my jumper from behind and fell over and their foot got caught in the ground. Well, that's not because of me. That's because you got your foot caught in the ground. You know, you just, I just happen to have been in the vicinity. And so people who don't think I should be included claim, you know, cling on to that, but, you know, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. So, um, no, it, it hasn't happened. Um, and you know what? I think if you want a look, if people want someone to hold up and say, this person is a hundred kilos, six foot two, and there's been no injuries happen, I think you can extrapolate that down to the lower levels and people who aren't, you know, haven't trained as much as me and and quite frankly aren't as big as me because that's the issue. So we may as well confront it. Um, And that if I'm not injuring people, then chances are it's not going to happen. Not in any higher frequency than you would get in, you know, cisgender people playing sport against each other. Um, So, you know, I think I'm a pretty good case study and it hasn't happened. So I, th- but you know, people won't look at that. Um, so yeah, I, I don't see the safety issue there in terms of size or someone being trans because someone could be trans and like five foot and I'll use pounds, maybe like 130 pounds, you know, that, that's not, just cause they're trans doesn't mean there's a safety issue. Um, I think the bigger issue, and this is the thing with all sports is if you have people who are new to the sport, especially contact sports and don't know how to tackle um, the way they do in that sport or, or make contact the way they do in that sport, brace themselves, that's when you get injuries. But that's not a trans issue. That's just new players are going to be more susceptible. And it comes down to you know, people playing at the appropriate levels, which happens anyway. You're not going to get someone who's an international athlete wanting to play fourth grade on a Tuesday night social basketball. Um, but they're not trans issues. So I, I don't see there being any extra issues for someone being trans as to, you know, if someone's at a decent level, well, no, don't go play social basketball on a fourth grade Thursday night where everyone's a beginner. Um, you know, and I think that's the bigger, that's the, a bigger injury risk is just new players being matched against players who are more experienced and quite often, it's the new players who cause injuries because they don't know the rules. They don't know what's going on. So for me, it's it's a real fallacy, I guess.
0: You're in a very, very, very small group of people who are trans women who have competed at some of the highest levels of their sport. And as you watch this debate unfold about this, what are some of the things that you... <laughs> Are misconceptions or that you, you just wish people knew about, about you and, and, and people who are like you? Well, look, I, th- I don't think it's specifically about me, but the thing that really gets me is, is when
1: people say you are big, so therefore you will be good. Um, it's not the case. There are, if that was the case, every athlete in the history of the world would have been six foot 10, 300 kilos, and just get big. You know, um, it, it doesn't happen. So, you know, they they cheapen, I think, people's success a lot of the time and they make the argument so incredibly one-dimensional um, that it, it just isn't even worth having sometimes because, you know, okay, I'm big. Okay, I'm 6'2", I'm about uh, over 200 pounds. I don't know what the conversion is exactly. Um, but I've got to be able to run. Now, if you can find me anywhere in the world, a hundred kilo woman who's a good runner, I'll give you a million dollars. You know, it doesn't happen. Um, And, you know, speed-wise, aerobic capability-wise, I was well down the bottom of our national team's, you know, markers. You know, and that's just expected of someone that size. Can I do things that people who are 5'2 and, you know, 130 pounds can't do? Yes. But that is the same for cisgender people as well. You know, you would expect someone who is bigger to be stronger than someone who is smaller, but you would expect someone who is smaller to be more agile and quicker and have better endurance. And that's exactly the way it pans out. Um, But also, I don't think people appreciate, too, when they look at size, um, exactly the impact that testosterone deprivation has on the body. Um, You know, I, in the first year of hormone. Treatment. My and I will use the bench press because it's easy. Dropped from one hundred and fifty kilos for a one rep max, so that's one lift, most you can lift, down to fifty kilos. There are lots of cisgender women who can lift wow. fifty kilos or more on a bench press. Um, so that's a two thirds drop off, and that was uniform across the board. You know, I was squatting two hundred kilos, so about four hundred and forty pounds, um, and that dropped down to about eighty. Um, you know and so that again is roughly a two-thirds drop off you know not exact but roughly um and you know you can extrapolate that out to everything and it also impacts your aerobic capacity it also impacts your ability to recover i was never a good runner you know that was never my strong suit i never had good endurance but it certainly hasn't improved and it certainly dropped off even more um since the transition simply because You know, I'm still got a lot of weight to carry around. I did lose a lot of muscle when I transitioned because I was really big. Um, But I've still got to carry that around but without the testosterone to get it around. So the analogy I use for people is you got a Mack truck and you put like a VW mini engine in it. It's not going to go very far. Um, and, And that's probably, you know, the best way to explain it to people because, you know, it's year eight science stuff. You know, in the sense that we're all taught, you know, the nervous system is responsible for the messages going through our body. Um, and that includes force production. Um, and that applies to jump height, it applies to speed off the mark, uh, it applies to all sorts of things. Now, what happens when your body realizes it's losing muscle is it does whatever it can to save it. So, what will generally tend to happen, or I found in my case anyway, when you've got no testosterone to maintain that muscle, you will lose a lot very rapidly. I lost about 20 kilos, so around 45 pounds in about six weeks. It was very rapid, but your body realized it's losing muscle. It needs muscle to survive. So it does whatever it can to preserve it. Um, so that drop off just stops and becomes very, very slow, but the impact on your nervous system of having no testosterone continues unabated. So what, generally then tends to happen is you will have people who look very big and strong who cannot produce anywhere near the force that they look like they can or lift as much as they look like they can basically aren't as strong as they look um, and that's something that i don't think people realize but if they put a little bit of thought into um, you know they'd be able to understand it pretty easily and when you explain it to people like that they do understand it um, but it takes that level of insight from someone who's been through it and, you know, an ability to actually sit there and have an open mind and listen um, and ask questions to, to understand that. And at the moment there aren't a lot of people and especially organizations with an open mind. Um, and, and that's where the problem is at the moment.
0: You know, what's interesting people, some people point to you and say, Oh, uh, she was on the, the men's national team that, you know, of course she has an unfair advantage um, be, uh, being on the women's national team. And, and, and my point is, well, if she was on the men's national team, then she was an elite-level athlete. So as a woman, it would yeah. seem clear and obvious she should be on the women's national team. I mean, if, you, yeah, if you're – Yeah, I mean, you're not automatically
1: going to become terrible, right?
0: Yeah, I, I, but it's like it's – like, it's not like, oh, you know, she, she was a low-level player – um, and in men's sport, and then all of a sudden was was an international superstar. No, she was, she was a national team player with the men, and she's a national team player with the women. It makes it makes all the sense in the world to me, but other people point that oh well, that's totally unfair.
1: Yeah, and then people will then turn around and say, well, oh well, where are the trans men competing at an international level or at a professional level? Um, there are lots, and doing quite well. You know, Chris Mosier is one, and the best known. Um, I know there's a boxer in California as well who has fought two or three professional fights, and I don't think has lost one. Um, there are a few. Yep. Yeah, and, and you know,
0: and I'm, you know,
1: I should know more.
0: Um, but what but we yeah, haven't like, seen, yeah. it, to, to, to my point, what we haven't seen, it's it, it's not. To, you know, I want to see a superb transition, right? And I don't. I, yeah. yeah I want to see someone who was elite level in women's sports transition and see where she ends up uh, after transitioning into men's sports that that's what I'm curious to see cuz that's your journey you went yeah. from elite level to elite level we haven't seen that because we haven't seen that no one's attempted yeah, yeah.
1: and i i think you will I, I, I think people will be surprised in 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 that they will be able to do it. Um, you know, like that will happen. Mm. Um, you know, I know there was actually a handball player in Sweden who um, she was on the women's national team as a female, and he now um, transitioned to male and retired after the European Championships, which was played the same time we were in Japan. And I follow him on Instagram, a lot of it's in Swedish. So, you know, I don't get all of it, but I know. <laughs> they you know i saw one thing i did a beat test and he said something like you know i used to get 10 and now i'm getting 13 or 13 and a half you know something like that like there's an increase and so you know i i think it will happen they will do it i think psychologically there might be a barrier um where there wasn't for me and this is largely due to the way that men and women boys and girls are brought up um men will quite often be half qualified for a job, but go, you know what, I'll apply for it anyway, I'll work it out. Whereas women, um, in the same instance, will want to tick every box and then some. And I think, um, you know, there may be that same psychological barrier apply in that if someone has been, and and, and I'm careful my terminology here because I don't want people to think I'm saying the wrong thing, but if you're raised as a female, it's very different to being raised as a male and um, you are told, oh, you can't do this, you can't do that. And people will overcome that but that's the extra barrier that I think will be there um, in just saying, or I don't know that I'm good enough. I don't know that I can do it. Um, They can, and I'm sure they will, but you know, there's that, um, you know, there's that prejudice that comes when you're raised as a female, you're told boys and girls are better at boys and men are better at things than you. And you know, it's bullshit. I know that, you know that. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think that societal um, expectation will probably be the bigger barrier than anything physical, um that I would say I would suggest at the moment.
0: But when we first started, and this is and I really just again I appreciate you you taking the time and sharing all No, this. it's okay, it's great. Um uh before we wrap up, I wanna circle back all the way to something you said in the first couple of minutes. You yep. said that the transitioning wasn't a choice, you had to do it. Yeah so what did you mean by that?
1: Uh look, simply I just couldn't carry on anymore the way I was. Um it had been something that had been on my mind for a long time. Um, it was something that um, I tried to push away, as, as a lot of trans people do. I don't think I need to explain that. It had been there for a very, very long time. And it had come back at different waves of intensity in my life, if, if that makes sense. You know, you can push away for a while, and it comes back. Um, and essentially, uh, the start of, end of 2014, 2015, start of 2015, it really came back. With a real intensity, um, and this was very different. I couldn't push it away, and it was causing me an awful lot of problems. You know, mentally, I was, I, I was a wreck. I was not good. Um, I was exhausted. I was burnt out. I was depressed. I was anxious. It was all those things. Um, but at the same time, you know, we had a, we had a big year handball wise that year, and I wanted to play. And also, in the back of my mind, I knew that if I act on this. And if I was to stop playing and transition, I'm never playing again, Um, which I think is one of the great things that the IOC policy has done is it's taken away that barrier, Um, you know, because that probably would have made it a lot easier for me to transition earlier if that had been there. Um, But yeah, I went and played a tournament in Kosovo with the national team, which was brilliant. Everyone should go to Kosovo. Uh, And I mean that. It was great. Um, And that was something... I was able to get through and do um, with not really any issues. Um, it was obviously still there bubbling away and I was pretty keen to get home and have some time myself. But, you know, I had my best mate there was the team manager. Um, you know, we went holiday in Turkey afterwards, you know, um, drive through Albania for a bit afterwards. And, and, a, and a mate of mine from Canberra was on the team as well. Um, and it was just a really positive environment. But then we had the Olympic qualification event in November in Qatar. and I knew I need. I, I, I really wanted to play at that because who knows, the 11 other teams, their bus might crash on the way and we get to qualify, you know. Um, but also I knew I was a really important part of the team. You know, even from when I first came into the team, I was playing fairly decent minutes. Um, so I knew I was an important part of the team. I didn't want to let anyone down. So I sort of pushed through that next six months, um, or not even five months from when we got back from Kosovo um, to when we went to Qatar to play in that tournament. Um, and that was when it went really downhill. I I was an absolute wreck. I was really lucky in that, um, I'd been able to come out to a couple of people, um, in Australia, um, who I was really close to very small number of people. Um, and so I was at least able to talk to them about it and have some support there and, um, one of them in particular is my best friend, man. She was incredible. Like never met anyone who's given me as much as she did. And I owe her forever. But um, yeah, I just, I couldn't do it. And I went, and I, I went to the tournament anyway. Um, this is how little money we had. I doubled as a player and a manager for that tournament um, of the team. So I got there a day early by myself to go to the technical meeting. I had $10,000 US in my bag, which I've never done before or since. But it was a great story. Um, and I remember arriving in the in the arrivals hall in, in Doha airport and I walking through there, and I just thought, This is a mistake, I need to go home. Um, but I couldn't, you know, I just landed there, so it's a lot of money. Um, but also, I, I didn't want to let anyone down. Um, and, and I pushed through, I wasn't in a good headspace during that tournament. I I don't really actually remember a lot of that tournament. Um, and, and I did a lot of things that were really uncharacteristic, you know. I, I you know, I got. S- I came to the bench and I was upset about something. Nothing really, but all that other frustration. So, you know, I kicked a drink bottle into the stands and you get a two-minute suspension for that. So, someone else had to come off too. Um, I remember we were playing a game. I I think it was against Bahrain. And, you know, I was getting in fights with teammates and yelling at them and calling, you know, it was really shitty stuff. Um, Have
0: Have you since talked to them about that? And do they understand that now? Why? I haven't
1: talked to them about those incidents. Um, there's one incident I've talked to them about. China had a seven foot goalkeeper. He was standing in the goal and my headspace. I tried to lob it over his head. You can't do that with a seven foot goalkeeper in the goal. So we talked about that and that was a real reflection of, of where my headspace was. But the more negative incidents, no we haven't, but I don't think we need to. I, I'm still talk to these guys all the time, they're great. You know, and this is what I say within the sport, there's brilliant people within the sport. All the guys I played with are amazing. Um, And and I think it's just the thing we don't need to speak about. I think they just understand, you know, they just get it. There's no real explanation needed now that they know what was going on um, during that time. They just, they just get it. And to be honest, they've been really kind and really compassionate and really brilliant. Um, You know, the guys I played with. So, you know, I can't, I cannot fault them at all and have to thank them a lot too, for how they reacted afterwards and, Um, but yeah, and so luckily during that year, during the in-between time between Kosovo and Qatar, I'd actually been to the doctor and I had my hormones waiting for me in the car when I got home and I I was never going to start them before I went because I knew the physical impact it would have on my performance. Um, and in the end, look, I should have stopped after Kosovo and just, you know, done it then. But, you know, everything happens for a reason. You know, I, I, think, uh, in hindsight, as much as it was shit, I'm glad I went, Um, and you know, it, it all happens for a reason, but, um, look, I simply couldn't go on. I was, I was angry. I was really defensive, um, you know, in arguments with people, I was really struggling to go to work. Um, and and so just for me to function as a human being, um, I couldn't not transition. I had to, um, and so I look at the people who actually recognize it and say, no, I need to transition before it gets to that point. And they're some of the bravest people I've ever seen. You know, you look at the kids transition and say I'm, I'm trans when they're, you know, especially teenagers. And, I mean, high school sucks anyway. So, you know, I, I look at it as sort of if I was braver, I would have done it earlier, but I didn't. Um, but, you know, it's what happened. It's the way i had to do it.
0: And it's, it's just, yeah, the way it is. You did it when you could, you did it when you had to, and you're, uh, you're in a better place for it. And I, I thank you again for everything you've done and continue to do. I wish you the best with your uh, human rights case. And if there's anything we can ever do to help you, please don't hesitate to reach out.
1: No, no worries. Thank you so much. It's been great, really great chatting.
0: You can follow Hannah Mouncey on Instagram or Twitter at Hannah Mouncey. Uh, H-A-N-N-A-H-M-O-U-N-C-E-Y. Also, be sure to check out, as I said at the beginning, our series on Outsports this week, highlighting the lives of transgender rugby players. It's an important series. Uh, it, it's pertinent to worldwide conversation happening right now in rugby. Uh, sticking to this theme, next week, I'm going to have another trans athlete, one of the great trans trailblazers in sports history uh Myana bagger who competed in golf uh, about 15 10 15 years ago uh early 2000s we talk about a lot of things uh, she has a lot to say she is super interesting fascinating um so come back next week and check out that conversation we will talk to you then